Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tversky Tuesdays. I am your host, Hananya Abraham. We are continuing from Chapter 4, where we were just finished talking about narcissistic behaviors and how that can be very, very difficult for someone that is dealing with narcissism, or if you have a, a relative or a spouse or a friend that is suffering from narcissistic behaviors and how hard it may be for them to be happy. So we, Dr. Torkey continues over here, humble enough to learn. It is normal to wish to be recognized, and it does not constitute vanity. The problem arises when people who suffer low self-esteem feel desperate to validate themselves as worthy human beings. People who know their own worth do not need to flaunt their abilities. To the contrary, they are secure, secure enough to always be teachable. I think this is a very, very good point that he's talking about here. When a person has low self-esteem sometimes, they want to be validated. They want to be liked. So they'll do things that might be out of their comfort zone, that might be grandiose, or might we even say crazy in a certain way. Look at social media nowadays, how people will go about challenges and go about pranks in a way that not only makes them look silly and stupid, but they're willing to put down others. No, I know I could say that the other way, where not only are they willing to put down others, but they're willing to put down themselves. And we know that's one way to look at it, but I think way for this, for this specific example that we're talking about over here, thinking about it, that not only are they willing to put down themselves because they need attention and they're blinded by how to live life and the concept of dignity by going ahead and putting themselves down, but they're willing to sacrifice relationships with others with their own spouses, with their parents, just for a video for more likes. And that comes from a place of low, low self-esteem. Several months into my psychi- psychiatric training, Dr. Torsky continues, I received a call from a relative in New York whose husband had developed a severe depression. At the time, I was studying a text on the physiological treatments of depression written by Dr. Lothar Kalinowski, an international authority on the subject, and I suggested to my relative, to consult him. Several days later, I was surprised to receive a call from the internationally renowned psychiatrist. He said that the available medications at the time were slow working, and because of the depth of my, my relative's depression, he felt that several electroshock treatments would hasten recovery. What is my opinion? Electroshock treatments is not something that is practiced nowadays. It pretty much, what it does is, it shocks certain parts of the brain to either stop feelings that may be detrimental to a person or to numb feelings, to get rid of feelings, maybe sometimes even to create feelings that we want a person to have. But in most situations, it was to sort of numb sensations regarding certain things so that you don't feel a certain way. And in this case, what it would have done is, as we'll continue to see what happens over here, it would shock the brain so that it wouldn't feel depressed in certain situations. So I said to to, to Dr. Kalinowski, you may be under the impression that I am a practicing psychiatrist. I am just at the beginning of my training, and as yet, I know very little about electroshock. Dr. Kalinowski continued, yes, I know electroshock well, but you know the patient better than I do. I then said, I have only one concern. He's a brilliant man, but he has always sought ways to avoid responsibility. I am concerned that if he has electroshock, he may say that his brain was affected 
Hence, he can no longer be expected to function as a reasonable person. Dr. Kalinowski said, Yes, yes, you are right. No electroshock. We will try to treat him with medication. I immediately went to the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and said, Guess who called me for a consultation? He smiled when I told him and said, The only psychiatrist who would ask the opinion for a first year resident is the one who wrote the book. He does not feel that asking someone of lesser stature of any opinion will reflect negatively on his capabilities. I can relate a similar story. One time asking a uh, prominent rabbi in America about how to deal with a certain uh, situation of infidelity that I was dealing with. And he asked me what my opinion was in the situation. Uh, it wasn't anything regarding uh, Jewish authoritative. It was more just regarding the couple themselves staying together, what the relationship was. And I asked him, why are you coming to me? Shouldn't you be asking the question? He said, no one knows the couple better, better than the one dealing with them. And while I was going to someone that I felt had decades of knowledge ahead of me, but when him coming to me and asking me my opinion, I think sort of showed a certain confidence that he has in who he is and what my opinion is was value to him. It's because he's in that position in the first place that gives him the right to even do that. Since one of the keys, continues Dr. Tversky, of self-fulfillment in this book is to be the best we can be, vain people run into a roadblock right from the start. If they think they have already achieved the superlative, then they will not see anything to be better because all they can see is what they have in front of them that is completely right for them in that situation. Sometimes in order to get to a place of being happy or being better, it takes work and it's uncomfortable. Let's take the example of a person working out and trying to build up muscles or build up stamina in a race or something. There's a certain sense of uncomfortability that you need to get in order to get comfortable. And when it comes to happiness, it works the same way. We might be too content to even want to think about change in the first place. So I think one of the things is this is exactly what he's going into now. That's important is to be humble enough to ask for help. Continues Dr. Tversky. The other problem with vanity is that it leads people to think that they must be totally self-sufficient that accepting help from anyone is beneath their, their dignity. Vain people may refuse legitimate help when they need it. Bonnie was in her first year of recovery from alcoholism when she confided in a friend that she had slept three winter nights in an unheated apartment. There had been an extended frigid spell and her furnace had broken down. Because there was a backlog of calls, for service, the repairman had been, had been unable to get to her home for four days. Her friend exclaimed, You could have called me or any of your friends and stayed with us. But Bonnie's response was, No, I don't like to impose on anyone. When I heard this, I called Bonnie and told her that I was disappointed because that I had hoped to be able to call her to help newcomers in recovery. Bonnie was nonplussed. But doctor, you can call me anytime. I'll be happy to help. No, I can't. If you cannot accept help, you cannot give it. I think that's a very, very good line. I want for us to meditate on for a second over here. In order for a person to give help properly, 
they have to themselves know we are to ask for help themselves. And to be in a situation where, now nah, I'm good, I don't need to ask for help. Then how can you help others? How can you be understanding of what a person is doing and the help that they need if you yourself are not able to see it for yourself? And there's a famous old text in the Bible on how constantly the Jews are being told, remember what happened to you in Egypt. One of the questions that's talked about is why is that constantly being reminded? Why do we have to be reminded constantly, constantly, constantly? And the answer is, is because God was reminding the Jews, remember what it's like to be persecuted, to be humiliated, to be spit on, and to be treated like a piece of garbage. That's the only way you'll be able to help others, to respect others, and to treat others with dignity and respect. And that's what we're talking about over here. You have to be able to know your place. Know when it's time to ask. Only then can you be able to help others. A humble person, continues Akatorsky, can ask for and accept legitimate help and can therefore, in a manner, give it that others will go ahead and accept it. A vain person may help others only because it engenders a feeling of superiority. This kind of help is tainted and may not accomplish its purpose because the beneficiary may detect a feeling of condensation. I'm sorry, I'm reading that wrong. Condensing, to be feeling patronized and a feeling of authority on top of us instead of feeling helped. The ability to be humble is an important fundamental to the pursuit of happiness. Let's read that again. The ability to be humble is an important fundamental to the pursuit of happiness. I think one of the points of what humble humbleness is supposed to do to a person is to make them feel grounded and people have to know their place. What is knowing my place? Knowing my place is understanding that I have times and places where I seek help and there are times and places where I give help and there are times and places that I may get help and that's okay. Being able to ask for help is not only one of the ways we can connect with other people, but it is how we learn to grow to be better human beings. And by being able to seek help, we're showing ourselves that, hey, it takes one to know one. So if I want to be helping, I have to be able to help as well. Be helped as well. And I think that's a very, very, very important point for us to realize what happiness is. Happiness is being grounded, knowing who I am, knowing my place, knowing that I am not more than someone else. I may have an ability to go ahead and give over to someone else, but that doesn't make me better in any way. And so by sitting there and getting help in certain situations, that's the way a person could come to happiness. Thank you for joining the podcast. Please... Send feedback if you have any questions, concerns, or comments to make. You can reach me at koshercounseling at gmail.com. The next time we meet, we will continue with to be humble enough and to admit mistakes, which is very similar to what we're talking about today. That will be part two of what we're talking about over here.